how far would you go for something that you love? What would you do for something that you value very highly? What price would you pay? What would you be willing to sacrifice for something that means a great deal to you? How far would you go? How far is too far even? When you say, oh, that's, that's too much. Because that's essentially, I think, the question that's answered as we look in Acts chapter 1. So last week we were in Luke 24, and we talked about the handful of people who got to see Jesus face to face after he had come back from the dead. They saw him die, they, they turned their back on them, They're, they were supposed to be the best of friends to Jesus, but they ended up selling him out denying they even knew him, so that he died a forsaken death, naked, public, on a cross. And when Jesus came back, the good news of who he was was evident to them. He didn't come back like every other crazy horror movie for revenge. Jesus came back to give them peace. He came back to encourage them. And even I, if I got a second chance to talk to the people who betrayed me, would probably try to at least have a little subtle, passive-aggressive sarcastic hey thanks a lot guys and jesus didn't even do that he just said hey peace peace with you he broke bread even with some of them showed himself to them not for revenge but to show how much he cared for them how much he loved them and so we asked the question even last week okay so jesus is alive now what what do we do what does that mean for us what's this guy who lived and died and you're saying rose again two thousand years ago got to do with me And so we want to pick up where we left off in Acts chapter 1. And so Acts, literally the Acts of the Apostles is the title of the book. Think actions of the Apostles, not necessarily the sermons or the teachings or the the church programs or even the strategy of the Apostles. It's the actions of the Apostles. So Jesus is alive, now what? The book of Acts answers that question. It tells us the actions, the response of Jesus being alive. And it was written by the guy Luke. And Luke wrote a two-volume series, first called The Gospel, that is the good news of who Jesus was, and then second, the actions of his apostles, what happened after he left. And we'll be reading in Acts chapter 1 a big chunk of text. We're going to read the entire chapter together, hopefully drawing some conclusions, hopefully seeing uh, um, some amazing things. And so if you can look around you, you'll see a blue Bible laying possibly uh, on a chair close to you. And as always, if you don't own a Bible... We want that to be our gift to you. If you don't personally possess a Bible, um, we want that to be our gift. And so if you don't own a Bible, that's yours. Now you do. In fact, I'll go a, a step further that if you know someone else who doesn't own a Bible, boom, that's our gift to them. Uh, we want as hard as we can to, to work toward giving God's Word out as much as possible and being as generous as we can. We, we never want to be stingy with this good news of who Jesus is. And so um, that's our gift to you. And we'll be in Acts chapter 1 today talking about as Jesus has raised from the dead and He will see us sins miraculously and disappears into the sky, leaves us with a question, now what? And if it's so important as we ask, what, what should we do? And what's that worth? And so we want to begin reading in Acts chapter 1. We'll start in the very first verse, kind of asking the question, Jesus is gone, now what do we do? What's that got to do with me? And finally, what's it worth? 
So, in the first book, verse 1 says, O Theophilus. Now, he's making a reference to the book we were in last week, the Gospel of Luke. And Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus. And he, he's about to give you a summary of the Gospel. The summary of the book of Luke. And so, if you can't, in the next few minutes, read the entire book of Luke. It's cool. He gives you some cliff notes. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So a quick summary that Luke gives us of His good news the Gospel of Jesus. That Jesus was a special person. And He accomplished some things. We sang about it. That as He died, He simply said, it is finished. And He wasn't just talking about His last breath and the end of His life. He was talking about the thing that God sent Him, according to verse 1, to do. And He began to do it. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all want you to know about it. And they tell their own their own spin, their own version of what they saw and what they encountered Jesus do. And Luke, Luke watched Jesus do, and Luke does the same thing. And he simply summarizes here that he wants you to know what Jesus did, but also he wants you to know what Jesus taught. That Jesus taught some very specific things. And he did so by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he ultimately, even after he came back from the dead, taught about those things concerning what he called the kingdom of God. Now, I'll, I'll just highlight that very briefly. It's, it's very simple. It's the reign of God. And maybe the best way to, to think about the kingdom of God is to ask you know, a question like, what would it be like if God were king? If we were in God's kingdom? In the same way that you can ask that about even an earthly kingdom and begin to, to illustrate in your mind what's, what's implied. So, okay, what's it like to live in Vladimir Putin's kingdom, Right? In the kingdom of Vladimir Putin, this is what it looks like, right? Or in, in the kingdom of Saddam Hussein. And, and to teach about that, it would be, you know, in the kingdom of Saddam Hussein, fill in the blank, right? And you can begin to see they're a little bit different. Even fill in the blank. In, in the kingdom of Barack Obama, right? And, and love or hate any of those people, you have to admit, their kingdoms are different. And if you were to ask yourself, like, well, what's it like when, when this guy's in charge? That's easy for us to illustrate because every four years, we as a nation actually ask that question. And the guys come on TV and pay millions and millions and millions of dollars to have ads and commercials to tell you, hey, this is what it would be like if I was in charge. Vote for me. And they're very simply just kind of putting out their king, their kingdom, their reign. Like, if I was in charge, if you elect me to be in charge, if you elect me to be official, this is what it's going to be like. And Jesus, in this sense, was almost campaigning for what it would be like to submit your entire life to God and His will and His kingdom. And to say, I'm no longer in charge of my life, but instead I'm going to submit my life to God. And when Jesus teaches about the kingdom, He's simply saying, this is what it would be like if you stopped calling the shots and you let God be in charge. If God really 
was king in your life, if you stopped serving yourself and your own lusts, your own desires, your own hungers, if you started serving His desires and His will, this is what it would look like. And He spoke in many parables. Some of them mysterious. But there's one thing there's throughout is that God's kingdom is coming through Jesus Christ. It's announced by Jesus. And ultimately, the kingdom, even though it's announced by Jesus, is not fully fulfilled, but it's becoming a reality day by day. As people like you and me, through faith, ask, what would it be like if today I lived like Jesus was king? What if the first decision I make wasn't, hey, i got to get some coffee in my system, but what does Jesus want? And so that's what Jesus taught about, and that ultimately is what he commanded his apostles to continue to teach. That's the teaching that he's entrusted to you and I, that look, Jesus has done something, that he's not just a famous guy, he's actually king. If you skip to the end of the book, the last few chapters tell us that Jesus wins. And Jesus wins over all things. And he wants to share that victory with you and me. And every day we get to ask ourselves, now that Jesus is alive, now that Jesus wins, now that Jesus is king over all things, and his kingdom is being restored to him day by day, what do I do? What do I do now that I'm in God's kingdom? And so as you're, maybe if you're sitting right here and the thought of Jesus being a king is, oh, that's crazy. Well, then it's okay. I, I, I don't, I don't want to scare you off, but I want to invite you into considering what would it be like if you thought of Jesus as more than just a famous guy, a guy that a bunch of people get together in tall buildings with steeples to talk about every Sunday. What, what if he was more than just a cool dude? What if he were actually king? And if he were coming to be king, what should you do now? If Jesus is about to take over the kingdom, if Jesus is like a warlord coming in to vanquish the army and take over, what should you do with your loyalty to the existing king? And shouldn't you start hedging your bets for the king that's coming? Those are the questions that you and I are invited to ask. And those are the questions that Luke wanted us to know about Jesus. And they're the things that Luke wants us to know about who Jesus is as we ask ourselves, now what? So verse 4, And while staying with them, it says that He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me, for John has baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now we see this at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and I challenge you if you want to, you can kind of look there the very first chapter that there's this picture of what Jesus is bringing is not just a change in regime, but it's also a change in the way that you and I live. And in the same way that if you are baptized in water, you come out dripping wet, your feet are squishy, water dripping out of your socks, running down your face, leaving a, a trail behind you. So also, Jesus, when He comes in and takes over our life for our joy, He also leaves us dripping wet with the Holy Spirit. So that when people see you, just like they would know pretty quickly if you had just gotten out of the shower, if you had just climbed out of a swimming pool, not only because of the water, but probably because of the way you would be dressed, so also, God wants to do something in your heart and mind so that when people see us, they will also recognize, man, something's going on there. And it seems to look like the Spirit of God. 
Not only are they dripping off with water because they've been baptized into Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it seems like they're dripping with God's Spirit. And when people interact with us, they walk away not just thinking, oh, that was some good advice, but even more so, wow, it's almost like, almost like God did something. It's almost like something inside, something spiritual takes place. And there's power evidently in the Holy Spirit that comes from the good news of Jesus being proclaimed, which is really awesome because that's what we lean on and that's what we trust in. If I can do a decent job in the next 20-30 minutes, I can hold your attention. Right? The best I can do by, by my own ability is to, at, at best, keep you from falling asleep for the next 20 minutes. Right? And if I don't, well, again, I, you know, I always share this, then, you know, the peace of Jesus with you. Uh, it's my ministry of rest. You rest. And so that's if I do a good job, I'll keep you from falling asleep, right? But make no mistake about it, that's all I can do. If I give you a good pep talk, that'll hold on to your heart maybe for about Monday or Tuesday, and then you'll forget, and you'll be back to whatever you were doing. But, if the Spirit of God speaks through me, through you, if the Spirit of God does something while we're here digging into God's Word, if the Spirit of God begins to turn your heart and begins to tug at your emotions and and your desires and your affections, then long after Monday or Tuesday, you will be changed. And much greater than I might have the ability to entertain you, make you laugh, or make you fall asleep, the Holy Spirit, hopefully, will do more than any dunking in water can do. It will actually change your life. And the amazing, miraculous mystery that we'll look back on, they'll go, was that Jonathan and him talking? No, it couldn't be. It must have been the Holy Spirit. And so I point that out to say that the things that Luke wants us to know, I also want you to always remember. That ultimately, Jesus has done something. He's accomplished something. And now He's King. And we get to invite, we're invited into asking ourselves, what would it be like if Jesus really were king? Like if Jesus were elected president, what would the policies look like? If Jesus were king, what would it be like? And not only that, what would it be like if the Holy Spirit rested on us? And long after we went in and out of the water to signify the symbol of our faith in Jesus, what if the Spirit of God kept dripping off of us? Soaking our socks. Because wet socks never dry. Right? So those are the questions we asked in verse 6 now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore Your kingdom to Israel? And they asked this question. And this is where we begin to, to really reflect on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it really means to believe that Jesus is who He says He is, because many people believe several things. In fact, if you look back at Luke 24 and verse 21, where we were last week there were a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus remember they were they were they were commuters and they were walking the handful of miles back to their city when they encountered Jesus and when they shared with Jesus not knowing that it was Jesus one of the things they said to Jesus is that man we really hoped that this Jesus was going to redeem or restore Israel and they were almost depressed and Jesus walked with them ate with them, explained to them that in fact they were wrong, that, that Jesus in fact was going to redeem His people. But not in a political way. Not that He was going to wipe out the Roman government and take over as 
ruler as Caesar, but instead Jesus' kingdom was going to be, as we talked about, a spiritual kingdom. A spiritual kingdom that you can't escape. You can't cross a geographical boundary and then you're out of Jesus' kingdom. Jesus' kingdom has no beginning and no end. It's forever and ever. It's always and everywhere. And it's an amazing and miraculous thing. And as he shared that with these people, these two guys, they had a hard time believing it. They had a hard time believing it. And so I point this out to you. You see again, it, evidently these followers of Jesus, even after having heard the words of Jesus, if you yourself have a hard time believing Jesus is who he says he is, and you may be confused by the teachings of Jesus, again, be encouraged. Because these guys apparently missed the boat again too. Because Jesus says, it's, fi- it's finished, it's done. And then, what do these guys want to know? Hey, Lord, when are you going to do that thing? When, when are you going to restore your kingdom? When is this going to happen? When are you going to come back? And when are you going to set up your kingdom here on earth? And Jesus said to them, remember these words, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Let me repeat that. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Wouldn't you like to know the future? I mean, I'd like to know who's going to win some sporting events today. And if I knew the future, I could hedge my bets, right? I could put money on the people who are about to win. Essentially, that's the same principle. Wouldn't you like to know the future of the stock market? Right? Wouldn't you like to know what the market's about to do? And you could invest accordingly. That's all these guys wanted to know. Hey, Jesus, tell us the future. Tell us what's about to happen. And I don't know about you, but as you're looking ahead, wouldn't you also love for Jesus to give you a little dream, a vision, a picture of what's going to happen this week? specifically for me, for the stock market, right? Not that I have any capital to move, but wouldn't it be cool to know? Because wouldn't it be cool to at least know, even if you couldn't hedge your bets, wouldn't it at least be cool to know so that you and I, after the thing that we knew was going to happen takes place, we could at least look at the other people around us and go, I told you so. See what I said? Didn't I tell you? Yeah. That's what these guys want. It's a perfectly natural request of Jesus. So that maybe they can look back and go, yeah, we knew, we saw that coming. Or maybe at the very least, they just kind of want to hedge their bets and they want to invest in the right places as Jesus is going to do something in the future. And I want you to pay close attention to Jesus' answer to their request to see the things coming. Not knowing what the future held, they asked Jesus, who surely would know. And Jesus' answer was, None of your business. Now, I don't like this part. Um, I really wish that Jesus had said, hey, this is about what's going to happen. Here's the calendar. Here's a list of dates. This is what's about to take place. In fact, I wish I had the power to even give that to you. Like, hey, this week is going to be either good or bad. I wish I could say, I wish I could lean on a horoscope, you know, and say, hey, you will... Have a great day again, like you did in last week's horoscope and every horoscope before. That's going to be great. It's going to be awesome, right? 
wish I could be a fortune cookie to say, hey, this is going to happen to you in the near future. But it's possible. It's possible that that's none of your business. And I hate that. I, I, I really hate that. I wish I'm the kind of guy that wants to plan ahead and organize things. I want to have everything lined up. And I get frustrated when it doesn't go according to plan, which is ironic because it never goes according to plan. And I still think, oh, if I plan better this next time, then it will go according to plan. And when it doesn't, I think, well, if I just plan better, I obviously didn't see the future. And, and, and all of my planning, desiring to have control, I'm, I'm worshiping myself and my own control. Jesus says to me, and possibly to you, it's none of your business. Because after all, for those of you who have a driver's license, how much do you love the people in the back who keep asking questions and telling you how to steer? And what are they communicating? Where are we going? Where are we going? Even my two-year-old, are we there yet? Are we there yet? As if to imply that somehow we're never going to get there. Or as if to imply that I, I'm not competent to get us there. You know, you missed your turn. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Shut your mouth. Right? Maybe that's just me. It's kind of a tension there as the people start to kind of steer from behind. We call them backseat drivers. And as they seem to want control over the direction and they want to know where you're going, they want to know where the future will take them and they want to arrive at their destination, they're actually undermining you and doubting you. And it's possible that the trust that God wants you to have in Him could be undermined as you and I wish we knew the future. Because after all, even if we knew the future, what would we use it for? I think I would use it to, again, I would hedge my bets and invest in something. And, and ultimately, I wouldn't benefit anyone else around me. I'd just kind of benefit myself. And Jesus says, hey man, what would it be like if I was in charge? What would it be like if you were in my kingdom? And one of the ways in which we can trust in his kingdom is to trust that he's in charge and that his decisions are best. Where do I get that? Because one of the first questions that Jesus' followers had for him was, what's the future, man? And his first response is, it's not for you to know. Now, while that may seem humbling and leave you a little empty, I'm going to refill you. I want to encourage you with what he did give to his followers. Even though he didn't give them the future, because after all, we would probably just use it to our own advantage, he, he does give them something else. He says it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father is fixed by whose authority? By His own authority. He's driving. You're in the back seat. In verse 8, but here's what you will have. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the cool thing that Jesus has given us. He hasn't given us an inside track to the future of His kingdom coming to a reality in this world. But He has given us an inside track of who's in charge, who wins, and who gets the glory. And because He's given us that inside track, we have good news. 
We have a message. In fact, these people who had seen Jesus face to face were no longer just friends or followers. What's the word it uses there? Witnesses. This thing that God has done is so awesome that you can't keep it a secret. You can't shut up about it and you tell everyone you know. Watch the Weather Channel. Either today or in the weeks to come. And God's grace, uh, willing, you know, maybe, maybe no one will be injured in a tornado, but there are going to be some tornadoes on our continent in the next month or so, right? And Weather Channel, God bless them, will take a camera and a microphone and they will get what are eyewitness accounts. And I love them. I love them. It's all heart, no facts, right? And I, I, Just watch the Weather Channel. Google it. Eyewitness tornado. And you will find the most interesting people on earth. It was too easy. He came out there. there and he was right there. There's no facts. There's no time. It doesn't even make sense. They're so excited by what they've seen that they cannot keep a secret about it. And the way they'll tell, they tell their story is so fascinating that people can't help from pointing cameras at them. And it's great. Because they throw the facts out the window. All they are leaning on is they just saw something. They've just experienced something so awesome, so life-changing, that they can't even finish a sentence. And they just are, are trying to describe what they've seen and heard. And even though Jesus hasn't given us the inside track for the future of the stock market so that we can hedge our bets and benefit. Jesus has given us an inside track because what He has accomplished and what He has finished is so great and so awesome that you and I are left fumbling and bumbling to the people around us so excited about what we've seen and heard. And that's why He says, you may not know the answers, but I promise you this, you have a story and you're my witnesses. So some, for some of you right now, the, the story is just, is just beginning. You wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. You wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And that's awesome. That's, that's, you're, you're, you're safe here, okay? And that story is just beginning. And right now, it's something like, I can't believe I'm here. Why am I here? This is crazy. We're talking about Jesus. But for some of you, maybe, that, that you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you would consider yourself a Christian, whether you mean to or not, you have an amazing story to tell. And just like the second verse of that song, Come Thou Fount, here I raise my Ebenezer. Here I raise a memorial because it's only by God's grace that I've survived. Anyone else here not shouldn't have made it out of high school? I, I shouldn't have survived the bad decisions I made from about age 14 to, to 16. Either because the people I hurt should have killed me or my bad decisions should have killed me or, me or sent me to prison or worse. Anyone, anyone relate to that? Like, it's a miracle that I'm here. Well, then you can sing that song with me with a great deal of joy. Like, here, I don't know how, but I guess by God's grace, I'm here. And hopefully, by, thy, by His good pleasure, hopefully it would please God that this isn't the end of my story. Hopefully He's going to carry me off. He's going to carry me on in this life and to the next in His presence in full joy. And if that is your story like mine, well then you're a witness. 
And you may not have all the answers. Here's good news. Jesus doesn't care. It's not for you to know. But you do have a story to tell. A story to encourage people around you that may be struggling or hurting or feeling lost and like God has given up on them. And you have a story to tell. And even though the Weather weather Channel may not stick a camera in front of your face, you have a story that could change their life. Because you could say, just like me, man, I don't know if this will help you, but I've been where you are. And it's only by God's grace that I'm still alive. And I promise you, even though it may be difficult, if you will trust God, He will carry you through. And so maybe we don't have the answers. There's good news. Jesus says it's not for you to know. But here's what you do have. You have a testimony. You have a story. And your story is not mine. The story God has entrusted to you is a story that will change lives. Not because you're smart or special or because you know, but because the Holy Spirit wants to change people's lives through your story. It's not for you to know, but it is for you to share. First thing you're going to do, you're going to share it, it says, in Jerusalem. That is, the people you know. You're going to be a witness in Jerusalem. Then it says, you're going to be a witness in Judea. Then it says, in Samaria. Samaria, think of Samaria as the place where you hate right? The people you don't like, that's what Samaria was. So not only are you going to share this story with the people you know and love, you're going to share it with your neighbors, people maybe just a little bit outside of your city limits, maybe in the next state or maybe in this region. But then you're going to go to Samaria, the group of people you don't really like and you don't really care about. God's going to empower you to share your story there. And if that wasn't enough, it says you're going to go to the end of the earth, which is incredible and it's huge. Then it says, when, they had said, when he had said these things, this was his last words then, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them with white robes. So get the picture. Jesus is lifted into the sky. It doesn't say if he was like slowly levitating, right? Maybe he just disappeared it was fast it was slow whatever whatever feels good in your imagination go with it it was enough so that when it happened the people just stood there going like did you again picture the people on the weather channel it was (laughs) it came out of the right and these people were standing there staring up into the sky and these two angels it says these people from heaven evidently maybe they were clothed in white robes said to them Hey, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking into heaven? I like these guys. They're like my wife. It's kind of a rhetorical question. It's like a question that you're really not supposed to answer. You're just supposed to do something, right? Like, do you want to take out the trash? Don't answer that question, right? No, I don't want to take out the trash. Don't say that, though. Take out the trash, right? You You know these rhetorical questions, these loaded questions? My mom used to do this a lot, right? Are you trying to make me angry? Don't answer that question. Don't answer it. Just, just assume that that's a command that's clothed in a, in a loaded question. Right? Do you, do you want to fill the car up with gas? Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. It's 20 degrees outside. I, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to do. Don't say that. Those questions aren't meant to be answered. They're meant to inspire you to do something. And it's really cool because even these men in white robes apparently did it. And they said, hey guys, why are you standing here staring into the sky? And hopefully they, they simply kept going before they had a chance to give a stupid answer. They said, this Jesus, 
who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they ask a rhetorical question. Hey, why are you just standing here staring into the sky? As if to imply, not like that you should answer the question, but you're supposed to do something, aren't you? As if to say, didn't Jesus just tell you you were supposed to go and do something? And wasn't that thing to be witnesses? And the two men seem to ask rhetorically, why aren't you doing it? And the same question might be challenged to you who consider yourself a follower, you consider yourself a Christian. Why aren't you telling everyone you know? What has distracted you from how good this news is and how much the people around you need to hear it? Those aren't my words. Those are the rhetorical questions of men in white robes. Why are you standing here? Why are you doing this filling in the blank? Why are you doing this thing? Go share. And so I want you to get a picture as you zoom out and we'll just kind of wrap up looking at maybe the implications of this little story. First and foremost, Luke wants you to know who Jesus is. But then he tells a story about how Jesus encouraged the people, even though they wanted to know the answers to their questions, Jesus simply said, it's not for you to know. There are some things, unfortunately, that you and I don't have the answers to. And I wish I did. And sometimes all I can say is, I don't know. The hard questions like, why did this happen? Or what's going on? Or what is God's will for my life? Sometimes there are ways that we ask those questions that God simply says, it's none of your business. Just trust me. Because your job isn't to know, your job is to tell. And so, I began with a question. What would you give? What would you do for something you valued greatly? What would you be willing to sacrifice for something of great value? Because it seems that God wants to do something through you and through me that is amazing and almost impossible to comprehend. He wants to use people like you and me to bear witness, to give a testimony, not only here, but did you get that list? Here, then our neighbors, then Samaria, the people we don't really like, the place we don't really want to go, maybe because it's dangerous, maybe because we don't like it there, maybe because we don't like the weather there. And then, if that isn't enough, then to the ends of the earth. Maybe you didn't know this when you came into this building this morning. God wants to use you and me to accomplish something amazing and unbelievable. So unbelievable. So unbelievable. That you and I will spend the rest of our lives only scratching the surface of how great and amazing it is. God might want to use you to change someone else's life by simply sharing the good news of how Jesus has brought you to this point. And that blows my mind. That God would look at me and my flawed life and my bad decisions, and He would say, I want to use that guy. That God would look at us, none of us in here being celebrities. God wants to use you and me to do something amazing. And i got to ask you, what's that worth? What's that worth? 
someone would entrust that great responsibility to you and to me. And maybe the best way I can illustrate it is one of the ways that this amazing task kind of shows itself in my own life. And I see it in my own relationships, especially like with my wife. I often take this amazing thing that God has given me, my wife, and I kind of take it for granted. I become entitled and think that I deserve to be treated a certain way. Like I deserve the remote control. I don't know about you. I get angry when I don't have the remote control, which has been interesting since Frozen has come out on DVD. I don't get to say so. We, lo- we watch lots of Dora, Frozen, and Wally Kazam. And I have, I have to fight the urge inside of me to want control and to feel entitled. And I should just be grateful that these people are in my life. And I shouldn't take this great thing and boil it down. Because I'm afraid, if we're not careful, we might have boiled down this amazing thing that Jesus has given us into something that's trivial, meaningless, and ultimately easy to ignore by the people around us. And there's two things I'll challenge you with. It seems to me that most people who call themselves follower of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, are more obsessed with being right about Jesus than they are with following Jesus. Write that down. Think of it. Remember it. It seems that most people are more obsessed with being right about Jesus than they are with following Jesus. They're more obsessed with making a point about their right about who Jesus is rather than making it a point to follow Jesus every day. And I'll confess to you, that's my temptation. I'm almost more afraid that you'll think I'm stupid or wrong than I am afraid that you don't think I'm a devoted follower of Jesus. It would almost hurt my feelings more, I think, if you came and you were like, yeah, you're not, a really, you're not a really faithful follower of Jesus. I'd be like, okay, well, I can fix that. But if you were like, you're dumb, and I didn't like what you said, I would, I would, it, I would play tough, but it would hurt. And I think it's because I, I sympathize with most of those people. I would rather be right about Jesus than to follow Jesus. And you see this in every aspect of our culture. Ever been to a Christian bookstore? This is why comedians make fun of Christians, man. Go to a Christian bookstore. And the reason why those make such great business is not because they sell lots of books. Because you have to walk through the decorations and the crosses and the crucifixes to get to the back of the place where they sell Bibles, where they sell about two racks worth of Bibles. Right? And the reason is that it's much easier to decorate your house with crosses than it is to daily take one up and carry it for the sake of Jesus. It is much easier to wear a cross around your neck than it is to carry a cross like Jesus invites you and me. And if we're not careful, we'll take this amazing task and responsibility that Jesus has entrusted to you and me and we'll boil it down into something we simply decorate our house with or something that we simply affiliate ourselves with once a week, Sunday morning. And God has meant an amazing thing for you and for me, for Connection Church, for our families, if we're willing, that we would be witnesses. Not to be boiled down into the least common denominator. Because the easiest question that most people ask, in fact, in fact someone asked Jesus this, is, so what's the least I got to do to not go to hell, right? The guy even asked this to Jesus. Says, what's the least I got to do to be with you in heaven? And if we're not careful, we'll boil down the question of Jesus into what's the least I have to believe 
What's the smallest or the least amount of things that I need to do to still be considered a follower of Jesus? So back to that analogy with my wife. How well would it go with my wife if I was like, hey, baby, what's the least I got to do to stay married to you this week? Like, what's, what's the least I got to do this week for you to still want to call me husband? And even though there may be a good answer, am I, aren't I flirting with a dangerous territory that kind of devalues her and, and points that my own love isn't for her, but it's for me? And I want to invite you into not asking, what's the least that i got to do to get away with God, so that God will still, still love me? Because ultimately, that will flirt with all the things that, you know, hey, what's the most I can get away with without you divorcing me, right? Or what's the most I can get away with without you kicking me out of your life? Jesus has invited us into this amazing thing so that we can now ask, wow, what's, what's the most glory that I can bring to Jesus in this day, in this week? What's the most glory, what, what's the most fame that I can bring to Jesus in my life this week? And I promise you, it's worth it. Whatever it costs, whatever you'd be willing to give, whatever you'd be willing to sacrifice, it's worth it. Not because Jesus is small, but because what Jesus has done and is doing through our lives is so big that our entire lifetimes are needed to contain it. My invitation to you, and I think the text's challenge to you, is to open your eyes to see Jesus bigger than you thought he was when you came in. Because after all, isn't that bigger, that thing that Jesus wants to do and he's done for us, isn't that bigger than just a hobby that we have on Sunday morning? Isn't that greater? Isn't that good to know that we're not wasting our time? Isn't it encouraging to know that God wants to do something that's much bigger than we originally anticipated? Not that we would one day just be right about Jesus and win the argument about Jesus, but that we would follow him and be a part of the amazing thing that he's been doing from the beginning. So in a minute here, we're going to take up an offering. And uh, I, I encourage you, if, uh, if you're a part of Connection Church, you want to you invest in uh, this, seeing this witness take place in our lives and our families. Uh, our ushers are going to take up an offering, and I, I challenge you to worship in that way. But if you're a guest with us, if you're just visiting and hanging out with us today, you, you're just checking us out, we don't want you to do that any more than, uh, than I want you to do the dishes when I invite you over to dinner. Um, but we do want you, if it's okay, um, to be less of a stranger the next time we see you. And so we hope that maybe you would fill out your contact information on that envelope on your chair so that we can be in touch with you, we can encourage you. And there's also a way that maybe as we, we share God's word and who Jesus is and how big he is, maybe there's some prayer requests that you have. And we take very seriously the mystery of prayer that God somehow answers for his glory. And if there's a way that we can be praying for you, we do that. And you'll see there's a, a, a spot on that card where we can pray for one another, we can lift one another up. And there's a very discreet and simple way that you can share uh, a prayer request that we would ask God that, to, to answer in a powerful way. And you'll also see a, a, a way to respond. And so maybe if right now you're kind of on the edge, and you're like, I don't know about this Jesus, but maybe I want to know more about being a part of his will and, and this big plan that he has for my life. Maybe if you're just now beginning to realize that God's will for your life is bigger, maybe you want to check, I, 
I want to be baptized or I want to become a Christian. Maybe you want to take the next steps in following Jesus. There's a blank there. I encourage you, you can write anything you want. <laughs> I want to know more or this is crazy or I, I want to see more of this. And I encourage you, as, as the ushers come by, you can drop that in there. And so whatever your response may be, whether it's to be worship uh, by an, investing financially into the vision that God's given to witness to the nations as a group of people, or maybe if it's to respond obediently to God's call on your life in some way. Maybe if it's just to make a commitment to say, I'm not going to be silent about this anymore. I'm going to stop being silent. I'm going to start talking. I'm going to start sharing this story that I have. Maybe if obedience for you is just to respond to the rhetorical question of those angels, what are you wasting your time for? Jesus is king. Jesus wins. Go. Live accordingly. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for how good you are. Thank you so much for uh, the story that you've been telling from the beginning. It's not a story of judgment. It's not a story of, of even wrath. Because the story doesn't end before you get a chance to send Jesus to change the future for us. So now the story for those of us who trust in Jesus is a story of joy, of forgiveness. It's a story of peace. It's a story of adoption. We are no longer enemies of God, but now we are in His household. And so in light of that amazing thing, forgive us for the places in our lives where we've boiled this Jesus down to the least common denominator and we've We've kind of boiled this Jesus down into a list of things that we do or don't. And we, we've, forgive us, God, for we've boiled this Jesus down to a list of rules and things we say or don't say or things we do or don't do and people we hang out with or don't hang out with. God, forgive us for boiling down this amazing thing into just a little thing. But instead, open our eyes to how grand your grace is. That it's a miracle that we're even here. It's by your grace that we've survived this long. And it must be because you have an amazing plan for us. So thank you so much for your forgiveness. I thank you so much that you entrusted this message to a handful of people that were ultimately wanting to know the future for their own sake, but instead you've still entrusted these people as flawed as they are with this priceless task this valuable message. And even more than that, I thank you that you've entrusted that task and that message to people like us. That in spite of our flaws, you have a plan. In spite of our failures, you still want to set our paths straight. I thank you for that love. I thank you that it's so much bigger than anything I've made it out to be in my entire life. So as we respond to your word, help us to respond obediently. Help us to respond humbly. We ask this in Jesus' name.